I think venture capital things do three things. And I think anybody who tells you that they do more than that, I think is exaggerates the point. We help people hire. That that's not finding you the person. That's helping you land the person. If you've been in the game as long as I have, the market is not very big. And so you know most people. And the third thing we do is we stop entrepreneurs making the same mistakes that the previous entrepreneurs have made yeah. in their experiences. Yeah. And that can come from my own personal experience, and it can come from our institutional experience. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and you've ever thought of hosting your own show, then I've now put together a bunch of different options for you. Whether you are a solopreneur or a big brand and you both want to have your own podcast, I've now got a course called Ultimate Podcast Mastery. I've got coaching programs, Alex's Inner Circle, and I've got an agency, Podpreneur, that creates done-for-you podcasts. So if you'd like to create, launch, and grow your own show with no experience, no knowledge, and no tech skills, then simply go to ultimatepodcastmastery.com. That's ultimatepodcastmastery.com. Welcome to episode 322 of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex, and my special guest this week, Stuart Chapman, managing partner and co-founder of venture capital firm Draper Esprit, the publicly quoted venture capital firm listed on the AIM and having invested over half a billion pounds and realized over 200 million of investments since it went public in 2016. Recent exits they've had include sales of its shares in the likes of TransferWise and Peak Games as well. I thought it'd be super interesting to get Stuart on to find out more about what goes into one, pitching for investment, and two, being on the other side of the fence and hearing people pitch for investment and what decisions go into making those investment decisions. And as you'll hear from Stuart, you know, they write checks for up to 50 million pounds. On average, it's it's 10 million pounds a week into tech companies, get pitched to something like over a thousand companies a year, yet they take on um, 
probably around, you'll hear from Stuart, you know, maximum one to two um, a week. And I've been in the privileged position this week of speaking to Theopophetus from uh, Dragon's Den, past guests on this show. We've had Piers Linney from Dragon's Den. We've had... um, Stepan Galiev, who looks after the investments for a number, like likes of a Nick Jenkins and a number of other people um, on Dragon's Den as well. So I think the audience here, you should know um, some of the things those guys and girls have, have talked about, but I'm always fascinated in, in this subject. And especially given the last year that we've had you know, our business is still investing in new businesses. And clearly, as you'll hear, the answer is a resounding yes. And for me to pass on to you, you know, what do you need to know when you're you're pitching for investment? What criteria uh, do these investors look for, I think is invaluable. So I love the fact that I'm able to bring people from my network and, and share that information with you. So look, today we're going to be talking about pitching your proposal with a team instead of just yourself, about how important it is to have diversity once you build your team. And lastly, if a venture capitalist tells you how to run your business, run for the hills. That is Stuart's advice and a lot more besides. So without further ado, screw it, just do it, Stuart Chapman. I'm joined by Stuart Chapman, who founded uh, Draper Esprit 2006. I think you told me, Stuart, is that right? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, and before that, you were with um, Casanova and 3i, so similar landscape um, that you've been in for, for a number of years. Yeah, so I joined uh, 3i back in 92. I was, a, uh, I, was a, uh, I was doing arbitrage systems for Midland Bank, HSBC. Huh. Sorry to date me. Yeah. Um, and then there, uh, as a as a graduate of Midland Bank, you could jump to a graduate of a sister company and Midland owned some of 3i. And so that's how I got into venture capital. I see. Okay. And and Draper, you know, I know one of the leading venture capital and private equity companies here in the UK, but you invest in, in European high growth technology companies who've got global ambitions, the likes of um, Free Trade, uh, a Revolut, a Graze. You probably give me some better examples as well, I'm sure. <laughs> So we do we do enterprise consumer digital health and semiconductors. So we have um, about twenty five percent of our portfolio in each of those categories, and uh, yeah, whether you you're into health or whether you're into the latest silica, the uh, graph core, um, yeah, yeah, that's what we tend to invest in. Great. Um, and look, everybody joining us today, we've had loads of questions coming in on uh, this morning's session. I know there are a lot of uh, entrepreneurs out there trying to um, find the right funding route for them at whatever stage of journey they're at. So we're trying to demystify venture capital uh, funding today. Uh, tiny bit of housekeeping, just to let you know, um, questions, you've got two buttons on the right-hand side. You've got the live chat so you can pop anything in there. And you've also got the questions tab just below it. So if you'd like to use that to drop a question in, you can use that as well. Um, So to start things off really, um, Stuart, could you give us an analogy of what venture capital means to you and also maybe why an entrepreneur should be considering it as uh, an investment option for them? Yeah, and then uh, please forgive analogies because I, I love them and I butcher them. Um, <laughs> but, um, so I see I see venture capital 
as trying to find the fastest possible water. So this uh, this analogy is um, I have my I have my canoe and um, I have my entrepreneur, my founder. I don't know what you call that a canoeist, the, the pilot of the canoe, and we try and find the fastest possible water. We do that because even though it's a bit bumpy and there's a few rapids, we will go faster than the market. The water will push us, but we will stay in front of the big guys. When the water plateaus, you know, that is probably where venture capital moves more into private equity. And the private equity is more of a speedboat, whereas the speedboat can go much faster than the big guys to stay in front of them. It doesn't really work very well in choppy water. And so choppy water is risk. Mm-hmm. And so this is the analogy that I do as a venture capitalist. We're always trying to find the fastest possible water. For entrepreneurs on their journey, I always view venture capital as an escalator. You and at the the bottom of the escalator, you know, you have your friends and family funding, and then as you go up, you pass the baton on to angels, and then as you go from angels, you might pass it on to institutional capital, which is people like myself who raise money from pension funds to put into a collective pool and then to invest in a portfolio. Mm-hmm. And then from in the venture capital industry, you have guys that do small deals, big deals, late deals, pre-IPO deals. And I, my job is to keep passing the baton on to funders who will fund the greater story um, all the way up to the end, which is either you, know, you do a, you know, a merger, an acquisition by a big company, or maybe your own IPO. Um, where you're tapping into different resources. But if you can view life as an escalator, then you you get the idea that your job as an angel investor is to get the business so far that it can hit the milestones to trigger the next mm. capital. Yeah. Um, and then obviously when it comes to me, my job is to get the business probably into a financial shape, i.e. producing revenue and producing metrics um, to a point where we could get the next capital. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You had Anthony on from, you know, Anthony Fletcher. And, and from Gray's perspective, our job there when we put our initial 50,000 in um, was just to get a prototype that worked. Right. Was it? Oh, yeah. Interesting. Okay. And then we put the equity in to get a business going. Mm-hmm. And by the time we got Carlisle in as a private equity investor, we had to show that we could demonstrate profits. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and that was our journey for our escalator on that business. So that was, um, yeah, that was a really good conversation, actually. Those of you who missed that, we will have the replay up of that with uh, Anthony Fletcher, CEO, former CEO of Gray's. Um, so, that, yeah, he was saying, so that was with, uh, Carlisle, you say, and um, what was the, the timeline with that from you putting in that initial 50,000? Because they eventually, I think it was September this year, um, Unilever was the buyout. 2007, I'm guessing. It was just just before our 2009 fund. Right. Because um, so, the equity, the big equity check came from the 2009 fund. So it must be 2007, 2008, we must have done the original 50,000. Yeah. Okay. Uh, really interesting story, um, Grace. if you followed that. And um, who, who do you think should apply? Um, maybe just add a little bit more. And, and maybe before that, actually, where do you see um, 
the different uh, value being added, like in in somebody's mind, for an entrepreneur, they might think the with with an, an angel investor, they're getting more access to the knowledge that their that investor can actually bring. They can kind of tap into their um, their contacts, their network, their knowledge. Um, where do you see VC private equity adding adding the value there? Um, so uh, I, I guess a quick uh, my expertise is venture capital. Um, if I get a quick history lesson, very very quick. Mm-hmm. Um, in in the 1930s, um, the UK government uh, identified that you could either get bank debt or bank overdrafts, you know, for a trading company, you know, for short term issues, or you could go public and get long-term capital there. And so by 1945, they published the Macmillan Gap, which is now a famous um, student's you know, case study about there's some this capital that is that is risk capital that you can't get from established lenders. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the this was the catalyst to the formation of 3I in, in this country and around the world. Other had their own stories. Um, in Europe, all the way up to mid-1990s, even late 1990s, venture capital was everything. It didn't matter. If it was risk capital, it was um, deemed to be venture capital. It was only as we got through 1990s that we realized there were different skill sets. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm funding the, the, the purchase of a company or the, the change of ownership of a company in a profitable business, that's private equity, that's financial engineering and architecture. If I'm taking a new venture, then that's risk capital and that's venture capital. So when I speak, please forgive me, I will be very biased towards early stage risk because that's my my background. But they are two different worlds. Mm. Um, Private equity normally means some form of maturity. You you have been trading. And and so accountants and lawyers are the the best kind of gatekeepers into that that world. In, In my world... It tends to be trying to do something new, uh, trying to push the boundaries. Um, and so to, to go back to your, your original question, we have about 3,000 people approach us every year. Um, now, my colleague uh, you know, tends to say that kind of that's a vanity number because really there are about 1,000 projects that kind of fit the mandate that what we do. It's right. it, it's okay. in tech, it's the certain mm-hmm. size. And then of those thousand, we probably, you know, one one partner will look at about 500 and then two partners, multiple partners will meet over 100. And then at the end of the end of the year, we do about 12 new transactions, you know, a year. Mm-hmm. So the funnel is quite wide. People quite often ask me, what is the difference between 12, number 12, and number 13. <laughs> it is a good question. Yeah. And I'd probably say not a lot. I mean, it's probably the one that 12, the person who was pushing it probably loved it 1% more. <laughs> really? And, yeah. and, and the reason being is the relationship between a, the venture capital company and the entrepreneur. Um, I mean, it can be over, it can be seven to 10 years to build a, a a, a big company, mm. uh, maybe over 14 years if you're going to realize you know, that yeah. big company. Um, and so the relationship over, the, over that journey um, you know, needs to be based on 
a passion for what you're trying to achieve, um, a commitment to each other that you're going to do it together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and actually some enjoyment. <laughs> you know? yeah, and, yeah. And so when you get down to that kind of 12 and 13, you, you know, you really are talking about how much do you really, as an as a, a VC, you're going to do two deals and uh, two new deals a year. Yeah. Do, do you really want to spend seven years with that company or with that product or with that idea? And, and so you could get down right down to, to mm. that level. And do you ever get to the stage where say that number 13 or, or 14, you would, you would give them that, you know, come back in six months or come back in a year. Um, here's something to, to work on, you know, here's, here's a couple of takeaways for you. Or would you look to pass them on to, um, a partner organization that might be a little better fit or, or just walk away? You really, it's a really good question. If you want to know, um, one of my biggest bugbears with venture capital. Uh, so, so we, I'm an entrepreneur and I, I created a spree and we, we built a spree as a business, not as a, as a separate individual fund. And yeah. then we took the business public. So um, obviously when I fundraise, I sit in the shoes of the entrepreneur fundraising and all right. So I, I know how much it sucks. Uh, <laughs> you know, and one of the things I hate is venture capitalists won't say no. And they won't say no because of optionality. You, 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 the entrepreneur, are trying to do something um, that's new, that's novel. No one knows whether it's going to be work. You, you know, and, and so actually, you're just always trying to buy an optionality. So if I ever got a story from, from a VC that said, do this in six months and come back, I would really question, are you sure? Mm-hmm. You know, is this just a soft no? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. or, or yeah, actually, sure. am I outside of your mandate? Am I mm. reason? From a Draper perspective, what we have chosen to do is we have worked out that we're not very good seed investors. There's a yeah. very different skill set. Mm-hmm. And so we have become, but we're quite good asset allocators. So, so we have become a limited partner, i.e. an investor in 25 seed funds in Europe. Uh-huh. And so we partner with those seed funds to help to help us in the, in that earlier stage. That's so cool. it's not a direct relationship with us. So if if an entrepreneur does come to us, um, and I see one of the questions about food, um, let's say one does come with us with a food investment, we would actually refer them on to Five Seasons based in Paris, yeah, because they're the experts in early stage investing in that that category, not us. Yeah, but, but it, it, it's obviously you've built that up over time, haven't you? And you're by founding the company in 2006 and you developed those relationships. And now it's pretty broad, I'd imagine, those 25. Um, yes, yeah. we, run a, we run a two by two matrix. Um, uh, geographies we, we're good at, geographies we're not good at, sectors, you know, top uh, niches we're good at, and niches we're not good at. Mm-hmm. So, um, you 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 want to be obviously in the top right. You, you want to be in an area where we're underrepresented, and you want to be in a technology area where we're not good. Um, but we work on the basis you have to have one of those two as a seed fund. Okay. So we have geography seed funds and we have technical seed funds. Mm-hmm. And um, it was interesting chatting to Stepan earlier with regards to um, deal flow and you know how that's changed though literally in the last you know, nine months um, and the the amount of money in the system that people are, you know, what's what's uh, the risk level at the moment. 
Um, what are your thoughts on what you've seen? Um, clearly, when you, you look at the obvious figures, there's probably never, there's hundreds of, I think it's something like 300,000 businesses have been founded in the UK alone this year, which is, you know, bigger than normal. And whether that's a product, again, of, you know, people being made redundant, um, people deciding what the hell, if I'm ever going to do it, why not do it this year? Um, what, what have you seen? What kind of trends have you seen over the last nine months in, in your space, would you say? Um, again, so if I if I kind of limit this just to my subset, so in, yeah. you know, high tech, high growth type propositions, um, there is a uh, definitely a flight to perceived quality. Um, and I say perceived because you're still talking about very early stage businesses. And so you know, that perception might be the quality of management team that they may have been able to hire, the quality of investor they've been able It might not actually be fundamental quality. It might be a perceived. And you are seeing substantial rounds being raised at eye-wateringly high valuations. Um, if I take uh, our own investment, um, we have an investment in Stride, which is a seed fund, which is invested in Kazoo, mm-hmm. you know, the online car yep. um, you know, uh, reseller. Um, that business is run by the most exceptional entrepreneur I've met um, you know, here, here in the UK, Alex Chesterman. Really? He, he has been able to raise several hundreds of millions um, in, this, in this COVID market. Yeah, yeah. Um, so there is a flight to quality at that top end. Um, there is a lot of capital coming into the market for access to that top end. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because they don't have many places to put their money. Yeah. And then on the other side, um, and I'm a, I, I'm a big Euro fan here, Europe has never been short of intellectual smarts. The schools in the UK, the schools mm. in the rest of Europe are awesome. You know, the technical research is awesome. The people are awesome. And so that's never been our problem. Actually having enough people to exploit that intellectual property, mm-hmm. your salespeople, your marketing people, your, your people who have done it before, the people who have made mistakes and won't make them again the second and third time, that's the biggest fundamental change over the last 10 years. Really? So the quality of propositions that are coming in to us, if I was to look back over my 28-year venture capital history, is exponential. Mm. Yeah, it's it's like dancing on ice. You know, the first season when they ran it, your people could hardly stand up. And by the time you run it now, they're all blind experts. Yeah. Yeah, I think that mirrors exactly what Stepan said. So that's really interesting at different different stages and different spheres of uh of funding but um yeah he's saying that the, the the quality of the entrepreneur has in, increased dramatically um and it's maybe not seen as you know just a cool thing to do as an alternative career but uh people actually understand the risks more um oh i, I tell you i celebrate so i'm still on the um advisory board of loughborough business school where where i went and uh when we got the first survey back that said it was cool to be an entrepreneur and it ranked higher than being a Goldman Sachs banker. You, you know, that was just, <laughs> that was such a day because previously, the previous 20 previous surveys that have been done, people didn't want to be called bankers, but they wanted the money. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this that that first one that came back and said, no, actually, they want to be part of a revolution. Hmm. That, that was awesome. Yeah, very interesting. And I, I got the flip side of that, I suppose, by going, going to my uh, kids' primary school for a, for a careers day and every child coming up to the desk saying that they wanted to be a vlogger. Yeah. <laughs> or a YouTuber. That was it. Vlogger or YouTuber. And he's like, uh, I don't think anyone in this room can help you with that. Um, <laughs> carry on moving. <laughs> um, right, so loads of questions coming in, which is brilliant. Thank you all very much indeed. I've got a few more for, uh, for Stuart myself, and then we'll move on to those questions. So do keep them coming and we'll get those answered for you. Um, and again, interested to know if this has changed um, during the last year, but what, what would it typically, we talked about grays before, but how, how long does it typically take um, raising money um, with yourselves? And has that changed over the last yeah, nine, 10 months or so? Um, so the, the good news is, is over the last nine, March this year, um, I was predicting a really tough time. I, I just thought I'm old fashioned. I like to see people. How am I going to um, approve an investment when I can't see and touch the, the, the management and the founding team? Mm -hmm. And uh, I have been very surprised, personally very surprised, um, that we've managed to find a way. Mm. Yeah, it's 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 been innovative, and you know, you're trying to find different techniques, and you know, it's hard on Zoom because everybody's selling. <laughs> and so even, you know, even yeah. if I ask you a simple question, you know, you're, you're still selling. So we've we tried, but so actually, um, there is a way to do it, and that's that's really pleased me. And you know, uh, I'm going to give you two answers, right? We always used to give an old-fashioned answer, which is used to take 90 days. Yeah, yeah, 30 days if you caught in me, 30 days of me caught in you, and then 30 days for the lawyers to screw it up and charge us. <laughs> um, I hope there's no lawyers on the on the, on the panel. Um, I'm sorry for the sponsors. Um, and, and that was kind of yeah, that was a flippant answer, um, really. But I think the real the real answer is you should be selling almost up to two years in advance. Um, and, and what I mean by that is that you should be jumping your escalator. So you should be definitely reaching out to the people above the people that you're selling to, mm -hmm. to start to warn them what's coming and what it looks like. And the reason why I, I say that, you know, is that my investors come back on a Monday and they say, I've met a really cool person and that person is doing X, Y, Z. They have about, 45 seconds to kind of pitch, you know, that initial, you, you know, this is why we should spend time. Mm. That takes a real lot of practice to get down to a point where you can identify the real nub of the problem you're going after with your, with your startup, because sometimes startups don't know what the, yeah. yeah. So, so actually pre-selling that, over a long period of time gives you the maximum chance so that when the person has his 45 seconds to say, I've met this company, we should really put some more resource into it. It's already been socialized. You know, the concept you're trying to solve has already been understood. Mm. You know, the research that's been done 
you know, maybe third party research that's been done that explains why this is such a big problem that you're trying to solve has already been circulated. It's already been around the coffee shop or in the, the water cooler in terms of, you know, getting people up to speed. I can't underestimate, you know, that this process is way more social than um, procedural. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to answer your real question, it takes probably 90 days to do a transaction. Um, yeah. It can take maybe two years wow. you know, to, to, build, to build a pipeline of multiple rounds of funding. Yeah, that was interesting because having spent a number of years with, with Virgin Startup in that early stage, and it was it was like probably the first question I used to always get asked, you know, how long is this process going to take? And you didn't want to give that answer like, you know, how long's a piece of string? Because so much depends on you and when you're going to give me X, Y, and Z that we need to actually um, make it a viable proposition. So um, it, it's, it's good to hear that um, answer. So appreciate that. I can see more questions coming in as well, which is great. So thank you all very much indeed. Um, and yeah, I was I was jealous of Stefan earlier because he said I'm just going now um, to actually go to a pitching event, and he goes I, I escaped lockdown, went back home uh, to where he was brought up, which was uh, Tallinn in Estonia, and he goes I'm actually going to an event with real people who are going to be pitching their businesses to me, and I was like I actually do feel jealous because my last live event was 12 months ago, I think, you know, and we traditionally then start up again in February March, but it's. Uh, just all went off the shelf. So I was very jealous of him doing that. Uh, and I think he said they were the fourth lowest country in Europe um, with infection rates, et cetera. So um, very jealous. Um, and do, you, do you think, again, I know you've got a crystal ball, but when, when do you foresee um, a shift in, in getting back more towards the previous model and how you would meet people and you know that social element that you talked about before and getting to actually rub shoulders with the founders and the teams? Um, so I, I, if I just answer a different question because I just struck, um, one thing that I've so I, so I love um, I love the whole the, the concept of diversity and I I'm not talking about diversity from a political perspective or from a sex or race perspective, but from uh, diverse brains. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the reason why I love this job so much and, I've, you know, where, um, why I'm not see anything I'm in it can be good at is just I, I just get motivated by by diverse backgrounds and diverse brain sets. Yeah. And uh, one of the things I have really noticed over this last 10 months is that generation of entrepreneur, and I'm going to age it, you know, just because it's easy for me to, you know, 30 to 40, they are absolutely brilliant at managing di- distributed teams. Whereas, um, uh, let's say the 50 to 60 bracket that I'm in, we're rubbish at it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to see people. We need direct reports that report into us. We need to be able to touch them. We need to be able to motivate them. We need to be able to kick them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas, uh, I have been so impressed with how my CEOs in that younger age bracket just treat it as normal. Interesting. And so I do wonder, actually, you know, whether this 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 change, this 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 break, will will promote more of that behaviour, you know, of how you manage people from remote teams, how you get information, how you collect data. Mm. Um, yeah, how you incentivize, how you 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 check on, motivate. Yeah. Um, then actually the old conventional way. Mm. 
And the fact that we've done investments where we haven't seen the management team. Yeah, I mean, it's massive, isn't it? That is, I mean, yeah. Mm. You know, I personally would not want to be you know, a shop that purely does deals that way. Mm. As much as I now fully understand, quite a lot of the meetings I had were a waste of time. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that's yeah, one of the biggest learnings, isn't it? Yeah. It on Zoom. yeah, yeah. Oh, the length of the meetings as well, I think, isn't it? Well, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, I spent five years in Silicon Valley. And uh, this is just a random story, sorry. Uh, and one of the feedbacks of, of when we were there, they said, you, we did some marketing. About what's, the, what's, the, what's our reputation? And our reputation was those nice English people. Mm-hmm. Said, what, what does that mean? I hate the word nice. Yeah. And what it boiled down to was that uh, we're very tip- we were very typically English, which is we'd welcome an entrepreneur. We'd speak uh, 15 minutes about the weather. We'd have an hour's pitch and then we'd speak 15 minutes about what you're going to do the weekend with the weather. <laughs> Whereas in our American competition, they were given allocating 45 minutes and the partner would turn up 15 minutes late and leave 15 minutes early. <laughs> but going through this process, I have learned that it is way better for me to schedule a 45-minute Zoom call to tackle two problems that you can actually finish in 45 minutes than to do a typical generic English meeting where we try and tackle the whole waterfront and do 60% of it and overrun by massive. Yeah. Um, so I do, th- I answer you, I do think this will have change life changing behaviors. Mm. Um, as to when we met, we started meeting people again, you know, the September time when yeah, we were yeah, allowed. Yeah. yeah. I wondered if you did. Yeah. And I think we will try and do it as quickly as we possibly can. Mm. But just so you, our office was 20% occupied. Okay. So people yeah. were still you know, still working from home, doing tasks, mm. and then coming into the office to get instructions or to give instructions. Yeah. Um, so they were still only in the office two days a week, even when we were allowed to be back. Mm. And I think that would change. Yeah, I'm, I'm chatting to Magnus Grimaland, who's the, the founder of Antler, like the early yeah. stage VC now. Like, yeah, great guy, um, Magnus, a bunch of times. And, and he was saying to me when I chatted to, to him last few months back that, um, that he said, if, if, the, if the one thing that changes off the back of this, that I, have, I don't have to fly from one continent to another for a 45-minute meeting and then have to come home again, then I'll be grateful. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. You know. I, I has definitely analyzed may I've looked at my time and I think what I've worked out is that if I if I did fewer but longer trips and had a goal of making a difference as opposed to the goal of attending a meeting. Mm. I think that's what I've actually taken away yeah. from this session is is be very mindful of your time and the impact that you want to make. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Um, and move, moving on from that, actually, and when it comes to businesses who are pitching to you, and again, whether there are there, are there any differences that you, that you've noticed that um, what's the best way of phrasing it uh, that you prefer that you think works better? Maybe that's right. That works better in this new way of doing things that people could maybe take away who are watching and listening to this compared to like the physical. Yeah. So go back to my, um, uh, so my analogies, uh, for, for when my kids, um, 
my son my son was um between the ages of kind of you know uh, well he's 17 now so between six and 17 i coached you know football in the winter and cricket in the summer mm-hmm. you're wondering where i'm going to go with this analogy <laughs> but but actually being a um you know kind of being a sports person um i i think entrepreneurs should start off their relationship with their vc like they're coaching kids and i I don't mean baby kids i mean you know when i coach when i was coaching the the under 18 football team i'm not i'm coaching them how to play as 11 right Mm -hmm. i'm I'm coaching them you know what uh, you know what, what our formation we're trying to achieve is as well as how to pass the ball and 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 when I when I was at Loughborough and they coached elite athletes, you know, they didn't teach them how to throw, they didn't teach Steve Backley how to throw the javelin. They taught mm. him how to what calories to eat and what you, you know, what exercises to do and how to mentally prepare himself for competition. Yeah. And, and I think the same in the pitch, right? When you're first talking, don't tell me you, you know how it works. Tell me what it solves. Mm. All too many people want to say this is the best widget ever because it does. Because when you break it open, it's like I'm not. No, I'm not going to get from it. Yeah. If you think about my forty-five seconds, I've got to replay this story back to my my team. They're not going to want to know that. And if they do, then actually what they want to know is the person that's invented it has got a PhD and has come from this university and has done it before. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I talk about keeping it high and, and, and you're selling the investment thesis and the reason why what you're doing will result in a change. Um, when you actually get into further down the process – and I'm committed to you and you know, you and I are going to work together for the next 10 years, then you can start telling me the intricate bits of you know, how it works. Mm-hmm. But in, the, in those early pitches, um, Guy Kawasaki from the original yeah. Garage when I was out there, he always told me eight pages, three points on each page, you know, 48 font. Mm-hmm. If you get any more complicated than that, the message gets lost. Really? And so, if any, if any of you can ever remember, you have know, got kids or have watched when the the football coaches shout at the kids to do stuff. After doing it for so many years, I worked out the coaches, the kids could only hear three words. And so, if you wanted to give them a coaching tip that was longer than three words, they couldn't. Uh, do it. I see. Really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Get back was about as much as they could do, or push forward was anything yeah. technical. And I think it's the same with a VC. Mm. You, you 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 got to pitch the story as high as you possibly can so that the bit that they take away they understand what change you're going to try and achieve why it makes a difference really good uh, i like that i like that a lot um just seeing where was that question i just had i've, I've just had it up um I, i've missed the name but they said am i t- too old at 60 to be pitching is it too old to be pitching um, my uh, semiconductor investor is seventy-five. Um, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I don't mean you're ever too old. Um, good, I, good, I, good. I think the 
you know, you have elephants in the room, and I went, uh, I went through a phase in in these talks about calling them dinosaurs, not elephants. You, you know, but when you have when you have something that's obvious, yeah, you know, that someone's going to look at you and and think, have you got the fire? Have you got the passion? Mm. Have you got the my my view? Just deal with it. Yeah, yeah, and and, and deal with it with integrity. Um, you head on. Because you're clearly not, for the greatest respect at 60, you're clearly not going to be a 24 by 7 you know, CEO for the next 10 years. Mm. But I guess that if you said, my job is to get it off the ground, and then my job is to hire that person who's absolutely doing it, yeah. then that deals with the elephant. Mm. As a venture capitalist, what I, what I, I will only, I'll only remove people from my investment committee for two reasons. Um, one is obvious, which is lying. Um, mm. So I've only, and I've only asked, you know, kind of one person to pack up because I, I didn't think they were telling the truth. Mm. And the second one is not listening. And sometimes the not listening can be yourself. You're you're not you're not listening to yourself speak. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I know this is a round. So sixty, no, you've got no problem with age. You, you, the problem I would deal with it head on, which is yeah, how, I think it's you, very how right. you recruit the team. Yeah, yeah. And and there are enough stories out there. And apologies, I missed the name of who put that question. But there are enough stories out there that you can easily find with a Google as to who started businesses in their 60s and 70s. And we're talking, you know, billion pound businesses as well. But like you say, I think recruiting. Um, Stuart comes across really approachable. Does he consciously change from good cop to bad cop? And <laughs> from Paul Smith, head of development at Biomation. I love it. Uh, um, so I spend most of my time running a public company now. Um, yeah. And so I do, a, I do a lot less investing. Um, and so I can be very approachable because actually you, when you, Come to the, the come to Draper Esprit. You'll speak to one of our investors, really. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and so, when we do, my style, Percy style, is to be is to be honest and open. And sometimes that comes across as quite cold. You know, if I'm on a if I'm on a company and we're not going so well, you know, some of the feedback can be quite harsh. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've learned in my career. That actually, if you do it with an open art, an open palm, which is, I'm not being critical of you personally. Yeah, so don't take it personally. Yeah. But this sucks, right? Mm. <laughs> we're not selling anything. Yeah. Or, or the buyers aren't buying what we're selling. Um, and the what's the definition of a fool? The, the person who does the same thing over and again. Um, yeah. Um, and so I, I'm not a shouter. And I'm not, I'm not a screamer in that regard, but I am blunt. Mm. I guess if that's my bad cop. Yeah, you, you don't give the hairdryer treatment then. I'm not that type of person. Uh, my co-founder, we always did the yin and the yang. Yeah, um, he's better at it than I was. <laughs> um, Taz uh, from MN Venture Partners says, "What is Draper Esprit's USP relative to other VCs?" Um, what would you say is your value add? And that was going to be one of my final questions, but Taz has asked it already. So let's um, let's let's ask Stuart. Yeah. So I look, I th- um, I think venture capital things do three things. 
And I think anybody who tells you that they do more than that, I think is exaggerates the point. We help people hire. That that's not finding you the person. That's helping you land the person. If you I always use this example in New York because you can get the image of them being more coin operated and more, you know, less loyal. But mm. if you think about that salesman in New York, he has a choice of the best business in New York, the best well-known business in New York, the most funded business in New York, and then some startup in England that he's never heard of. So, so why should he join? And so I think the best VCs you help in that process, give confidence to the candidate, get the candidate to, to take the jump. Mm. I think they help you fundraise. So if you've been in the game as long as I have, the market is not very big. And so you know most people. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's how do you get and how do you get ten minutes with Matt Miller as Sequoia when he's next on his UK trip? You know, to work out whether Sequoia could be your US partner mm. or the Boston guys or the New York guys, um, or even as I was this, t- this morning on Zoom in Tokyo, you know, trying to get Japanese investors. So I think that's what we do. And the third thing we do is we stop entrepreneurs making the same mistakes that the previous entrepreneurs have made yeah. in our experiences. Yeah. And that can come from my own personal experience, and it can come from our institutional experience. I, if you've backed as many companies as we have as a firm, you, know, you start to pick out the patterns. If one of our companies is raising debt, why don't you get the aggregated terms from my CFO to know whether the terms you're being offered mm-hmm. are in line with the market. Yeah. If you're trying to hire someone and give them options, why don't you find out what the other sister companies in your same kind of zone are offering options for that CTO? Mm. It's that type of intelligence that adds value. We have that added value in Draper Esprit, which is we're not set up the same as any other fund. F- funds at the institutional level are set up in a five-year invest, five-year harvest model, 10-year funds. I have no idea why we back the most entrepreneurial people in the world, and yet the corporate structure we use is the same corporate structure as 1958. It's ludicrous. I mean, why do you think Elon Musk drives a 1958 car? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's just ludicrous that you would Mm -hmm. do that. And so I talk about a relationship with an entrepreneur going on for 10 years. So if I invest in year four of my fund, my close-end fund, I've got to start seeking liquidity after six years, even though I know that it's another four years to get to maturity. So Mm -hmm. at Drapersbury, because we're public and because we invest off our balance sheet, time is not that constructive. Yeah. So we're able to offer our entrepreneurs a a different funding cycle and a different um, mechanism yeah, very good, very good. Um, Ivy, um, founder and CEO of the Science Writing Revolution, asks: um, Is it safe to assume that Draper are open to pre-MVP startups? Uh, I would, without knowing it. So, in silicon and in our deep tech part of our business, so seventy-five percent of our business is digital. The beauty of digital is you can get customers very quickly, so you get revenue. The technical side of our business 25% i would say maybe but if i was to give you a honest answer most likely would go to our seed funds mm-hmm. yeah 
No, appreciate that. Um, Tony um, asks, we need an initial large investment, but forecast high growth and potential operational break even in three years and profit in year five. Rather going through friends than angels before VC, is it feasible to go straight to VC since I see it as inevitable? <laughs> uh, yeah, so at my so if you imagine the VC tri the VC triangle, um, at the top of the triangle, um, or at the top of the point of triangle where the fewest number of companies are, you are looking to raise capital to to deliver. 100x so there are only a few companies you know in that top part of the triangle and it's not a quality perspective it's the size of the market and the type of solution you're selling it requires a lot of capital and so as an entrepreneur if the dream if, if the opportunity and market is not that big you you lose out by taking venture capital funny enough because the, yeah, fact, yeah. the venture capital swamps you mm. Um, as you go lower down that that triangle in bands, people's um, people blur growth for ultimate profits. And so, what I mean by that is um, the very fact that you spoke about cash flow and operating profit in five years' time would take out most of my funds. In, in the institutional, because we're not actually that interested in profit. Mm. What we're actually interested in is is change, change and growth. Yeah, um, and you do that by funding it with equity. There are another a, a much larger group of investors that are interested in um, growth, but ultimately self sufficiency profits. Because mm -hmm. if you get to self-sufficiency, then you don't need to raise equity. If you don't raise equity, you don't dilute the existing shareholders so there's more money kept in the in the value for them. Yeah, makes sense. When you drop down to the bottom list of that triangle is where the most investors are, which is they want quasi-security, not mm. asset-backed security, but you know, customers and revenue and you know budgets and business plans that are believable, you know, and they can see that actually their capital is not going to get washed out. Uh, that triangle uh, is, you know, details the amount of people in each, each category. So if I, if you were pitching me to go, I don't think you can jump from one to the other. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's an escalator. Mm, yeah, so you I, made that analogy. Yeah, it's a good analogy. I would, I I would challenge your challenge your assertion. You can jump from you know families, fools, and you know, friends, you know, to angels, to institutional capital, just because it's inevitable. Unless unless you have got some proof points that means you can enter the stairway quicker. Yeah, yeah, great up. answer, great answer. Um, okay, bunch more questions. Uh, in a typical funding journey. Can we expect to be adding investors as the company grows, or do we look for exits as the company grows and add larger investors in each round? Um, so, is it rare for investors to remain invested in a company pre-seed to IPO? That is a great question. Good question. Yeah. Um, I'll give you another quick. No, 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 look at the time. Another quick analogy. Um, so, <sighs> I go. I go over to Silicon Valley, nineteen ninety nine, August, top of the party. Right, we are talking. Boom, 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 dot com 
super duper. It takes me a while. Um, I'm quite a personable person, and I quite like people. So it takes, but even though even that, it takes me a while to get to meet a big shot at a venture capital firm on Silicon Valley. So um, I get to meet this guy, and he says, "I'll meet you in Nola's." Nola's is a, was a wine bar. That was really odd because Americans don't drink. You know, certainly not professionally don't drink. So that's cool. I'm going to meet someone who's European in outlook and is quite happy to meet me for five o'clock for a drink. Anyway, we get to Nola's. I ask him what he wants. He says, I can't, let's uh, say a martini. I go and get my beer. I get a martini for him. He sits down. I talk to him for two minutes. He drinks his martini. He says, 75% of my problems with my portfolio companies are my existing investors. Why do I want another problem? Hmm. Got up and walked out and stuffed me with a bill. Um, and, and so to answer your question, yes, a seed investor can stay the whole journey. Uh, what is happening recently is because investors want to put more money to work, they are offering jump out points mm-hmm. for early investors. And I think this is I think this is real progress mm-hmm. because if we can get to a point where people can invest early, come out the middle, go back in late if they wanted to, and I buy a share in Draper Spree, which enables them to participate in the late stage type stuff. And actually, we enable investors to jump in and out of this asset class as they see their risk profile. I think that is awesome. Mm. And just another, and sorry to ups, if there are any French um, citizens on the wall. If if you look at Paris and Berlin, or Paris and Stockholm, one of the big differences between those ecosystems is the volume of exits. Exits breeds confidence, mm-hmm. not from the entrepreneur or from the VC, but from the investors. And and we had this in the UK based in Cambridge. Yeah, Cambridge was its own is its own ecosystem. It has a lot of angel investors. When Cambridge started to generate successes and exits and cash started to flow back to those angel investors, the network of angel investors grew. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. People got more confident. You know, I I put ten thousand in, suddenly I get two hundred thousand out. Well, now my minimum check is twenty five thousand. Uh-huh. And, and that confidence from the investors is what breeds success. Yeah. And if you look at ecosystems for them to be successful, yes, you need seed funds. Yes, you need capital. Yes, you need events and you need community. But ultimately, you need confidence, and that comes from cash. That's a great story. Great story. Um, this is a good question as well, which which I've had a few times recently, well, more this year, I think. Um, C. Thompson, founder and CEO of Alpha Beta, who says, overall statistics show that the majority of investment is awarded to male teams over 90%. Uh, do you have any tips for single female pitchers? Um, I, 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 so I'm, um, I think the only way we deal with this uh, this issue, which, um, and I think it's across the board. Yeah. Uh, I think female, um, I think BAM, I think poor um, you know, regions, I think outside of London from a UK perspective. Um, 
So I think you, you have to do it on multiple fronts. So what what I've done as as the only thing I can do is affect my world is I've made sure that I've I've hired the most diverse team you I can find. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we are still, you, you know, we are still um, underrepresented from um, you know poor backgrounds. You, you know, being honest, mm-hmm. um, because we take university graduates plus four years, five years of experience. So we're still working on how we get more people, you know, from across societal. Um, to answer your to answer your your question, um, uh, I think um, I do think from an underrepresented side, they have to work harder, which is unfair, I know, but they have to work harder. This kind of um, testing the, mm. you know this let me test my idea with you let me meet with you before let me pre-test what i'm talking about is this area of interest for you um because because that is how you get the direct feedback to to, to certainly if you pitch to me um uh, i mentor i mentor a lady down in petersfield um uh who who, uh, who does a um you know who, who has a marketplace uh, it's actually through the pitch and the ideas you actually go, I wouldn't say that. You, you, I wouldn't be apologetic for that. Mm-hmm. I, I, I wouldn't try and defend that point. That's not your elephant. That's, yeah. that's someone else's your elephant. Um, I, would, um, I would never pitch as a single male or a single female. I would pitch as a team if that is possible. That was another question. So it's good that you've, you've, you've kind of segued into that because that, that was a question. Um, uh, if you were a solo founder, how is it viewed, and is there anything one could do to negate concerns with being a solo founder? Yeah, uh, I think you deal with the elephant because yeah. because no nobody can do everything. You know, nobody can do everything. So the very first question you're going to get to is, "That's awesome. That's a great pedigree. That's a great idea. That's how are you going to execute it." Mm. And so actually coming up with you, know, well, that's why I'm talking to you because you know I am going to need help in. Yeah. This area, in this area, I've got this area covered. I reckon I can take, I can get this person. So I, I would, even if I was a single person, I would never pitch a single person. Yeah, that I makes would pitch sense. me as the lead, but I would pitch, you know, with this money, I will build this team, or you know, over the next year, I will supplement this team. Mm. Yeah, really good, really good. Um, okay, probably coming up to the last question, folks, um, which have been inundated for, I mean, this today has been uh, the busiest day uh, for engagement, which is awesome. Um, Tony asks, is it important to have control of 51% of your company to make decisions unilaterally to prevent disagreements such as the pay package of the founders and key members of the team where you may need to pay a premium, but investors may not agree? Good question. Uh so my uh, my answer is no. Uh, as a venture capitalist in 28 years experience, I have got only one retort to a management team that says, I don't want to do that. And that's to fire them. Hmm. And that is value destroying. So if you get to a point where actually it's that confrontational, then obviously relationships suck yeah but if you i'm an economist from my you know academic you know life Mm -hmm. and the only thing i can remember from my economics degree is adam smith and the wealth of nations you know and you need materials and you need capital and you need labor and 
if your materials are your intellectual property and you are the labor, you've got two legs of the three-legged stool. Um, you always need the capital. <laughs> and so my, my question, my question comes back to you is, well, I'll do it two ways. One is I have never met a founder that's that that starts with money as a driver. Right. So yeah, I've yeah. met many, very many greedy founders and you know, you know, but I've never met one that, you know, certainly not a successful one. Um, and so and I've never met an investor that will go against the management team. Right. Okay. Yeah. In in terms of I know best. Mm. Uh, and and so I would say you don't need 51% because you hold the aces. Yeah. Good if you answer. abuse it, then that's it. But you don't need 51% for that reason. Mm. Great answer. Um, okay. A couple of quick ones maybe to finish off here. Justin Smith asks, um, any particular seed fund do you have partnerships with in the prop tech space? Oh, there was a specialist. Um, there was a specialist one in, in London that was – so I would have to get back to you on their name. I would have to basically Google my mailbox to find out what the the chap's name is. Yeah. Okay. Um, great. And yeah, loads of comments, which is which is great. Thank you very much indeed. Um, last one, maybe then. Stephen D- Daniels, director of Just Right Products, says: Does granted patents some? Sorry, does granted patents some globally spread and the patent box scheme make a positive difference to investors? A range of products from these that cover. Uh, bondage to construction. <laughs> uh, um, look, I let me give you my um, look. I'm not a politically correct person on this front, right? I'm a software investor, and patents have never helped me. Mm. Um, they have got in the way in that I've had patent trolls come after some of my companies, but that's something else. Um, and so I find. Um, you know, patterns can take an awful lot of time and not help you. Uh, well, what I mean by that is you, you have a, if you think you have a pattern for your idea, uh, Google, uh, Apple, Samsung, Intel, IBM, they don't think about single patterns. They think about families of patterns to basically box your one pattern in that means even if you had three and a half million dollars, which is what it would cost to take a litigation, you can afford you can, you wouldn't win anyway mm-hmm. because you would they would basically surround you with their family. Yeah. Patterns. So I know I'm very biased in this, and I know it's not the right thing to say, but unless you were in a more deep tech environment, I I I, I worry about patterns and your efforts. Yeah, yeah. Just because you can't defend them. Mm. Thank you. Um, last one then. Here we go. Uh, we've got two minutes left. Uh, Tony, any red flags that we need to be aware of when choosing an investor? Anything we may come across where we need to think twice before bringing them up? That's a really good point to end. It's a really good point to ask. Um, I am always shocked at how few entrepreneurs take references on us. I mean, it should. if you were to hire someone, you wouldn't just take a pitch and hire them. So definitely take references of entrepreneurs they've backed, maybe some they haven't backed, maybe some that they've sold out of, you know, 
TechCrunch is great to find out who's been associated mm. with who. Even asking other VCs what they think of. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really important. The biggest bugbear for me, though, is um, uh, how do you? I am I trying to make sure my language is clean. Um, BSs. Yeah. So uh, VCs that talk everything up, and then you find out they've got a thirty million dollar fund. And so you've just taken $750,000 from them, say, mm -hmm. and they can't follow their money. Yeah. Or they can't raise a new fund mm -hmm. because performance has not been so great. Yeah, not you, deep you, enough. You're stuck. Mm. I mean, you, you know, that, that to me, I, I think that entrepreneurs need to do a lot more work um, on that. And then my last one is the reason why I am a VC is because I would make a rubbish, you know, tech entrepreneur, right? So if you have a VC that tells you how to run your business, run for the hills. If you have a VC that says, hang on a minute, I've seen this before. This doesn't play out very well. Yeah. Listen, reflect and respond. If he says, get a, get to get, get aside, I can do this better than you. Then just, I tell you, run for the hills. Run for the hills. Brilliant. Uh, well, look, apologies if we didn't get to your question. I know there's still questions coming in, but we would literally be here um, all day, I think, uh, people tapping into your, your knowledge and experience there, Stuart. So um, appreciate that. Um, easiest place to direct people, I would assume, is going to be draperesprit.com, where you can either um, meet you or, or pitch to you essentially and now you've got a new uh, campaign up and running new website there yep. that's really obvious for people which which route to go down I'd say it won't be for me because you'll go to the investment team if you have something personally for me you can get me on LinkedIn and ping me a message from there I'm happy always happy to answer over the weekend that's great thank you so much really appreciate you taking an hour out of your day thank you so Loved much it. good luck great. everyone So I've found that super interesting. I don't know about you. And we've had a, a range of people speak on um, investment strategies and pitching for investment, the likes of uh, my friend Piers Linney, uh, former Dragon from Dragon's Den, or Stepan Galiev, um, who looks after a number of the Dragon's investments. So it was really interesting hearing um, Stuart talk about this. And I found it really interesting, given this week I also had the opportunity um, to ask Theo Pafitis a question when it came to um, investing in businesses and finding out his strategies as well. So, um, look, for me, I, I, I love the last point. He said, you know, if you have a venture capitalist that tells you how to run your business, run for the hills. You know your business better than anybody. Uh, you should be putting a team in place to take care of the skill sets that you don't have. And anybody that tells you how to run your, your business, especially, especially a venture capitalist that's investing in your business, I think that was fantastic to hear that from Stuart. For, for you to take the advice, no, run for the hills. Um, and look, pitching your proposal with a team instead of a single person, again, I think that buys into that, you know, building a team around you that, that don't have, that do have the skills that you don't have. Um, having a whole plethora of different life experiences and different skill sets, different 
problems they can solve uh, rather than you yourself. And, and knowing also that, you know, you and those initial um, people that you take on to build your team might not be the people to actually see this business through to its logical conclusion is be that an exit, for example, or be that scaling at speed. Um, so that's important to, to bear in mind. And, and yeah, diversity be, being hugely uh, important as well to be able to do that. So um, I found that super interesting. I have to say, I, lo I love understanding the minds uh, of those people who pull the trigger on you know, these investments. And I think Stuart might have said that, you know, they're looking at, you know, every week they're investing something like up to 10 million uh, or up to 50, writing checks for up to 50 million pounds in these businesses as well. And the fact that they have, you know, over a thousand people pitch them for investment over the course of a year and them taking on literally 10 to 12 investments as well. So very, very interesting. I hope that helped you if you are either thinking of getting investment um, or you are already, you know, in the process of doing so and looking at potential partners. So, uh, yeah, hope you enjoyed that. Join us again next week for another fantastic guest and another uh, interesting subject that we'll be diving into. If you'd like to learn how to launch and grow your own number one rated podcast like this with zero experience, zero knowledge and zero tech skills, come and join me at ultimatepodcastmastery.com where I've just launched for a limited number of people a brand new podcast membership course. So you'll get access to my ultimate podcast mastery membership course. You'll get my digital workbook, my progress sheet, my launch checklist, and all of the nitty gritty cheat sheets, templates, and scripts, the podpreneur way. You'll also get weekly live Q&A with me, exclusive WhatsApp group chat, and entry to my private Facebook group, as well as access to all my past interviews and trainings with special guests as well. This is available for a limited time for a limited number of people. So once it's gone, it's gone. But if you'd like to learn how to do exactly what I'm doing now, then I'll show you how. Head on over to ultimatepodcastmastery.com. If you found value in this free podcast, all I ask is that you tell somebody else about it. You don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It, Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It, Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It, Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you if you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org. I promise to reply. Just give me a little time. <laughs>